This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Hello and welcome to this mini episode of Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Rabbi Daniel Ruttenberg, the scholar in residence at the National Council of Jewish Women. And here we are reading a letter from a listener. Would you mind reading our our next letter? The subject is Seeking Subject Matter Competence. I am a 20-something queer woman with autism, and it seems impossible to find queer-competent, autism-competent therapists. I've done traditional talk therapy twice, both during mental health crises after difficult events. These therapists were great at helping me stay afloat during the immediate crises, but things fell apart when I stabilized and wanted to work on long-term issues and goals. I've always struggled with developing friendships and romantic relationships. I wanted help understanding how I could better pursue those relationships, build intimacy with others, and better know what kinds of people I want in my life. Confirming my own desires has also been a struggle. Growing up queer and autistic in the Bible Belt does not allow for a lot of productive, youthful exploration and self-discovery. Both these therapists responded to these questions as though they were feeling problems rather than behavior problems. One therapist always circled back to romance doesn't have to be part of life or some people don't start dating until their 30s or later. The other kept saying things like having trouble dating doesn't mean you're undesirable. It was incredibly frustrating and frankly upsetting to feel like I was being told, well, maybe the answer is you don't get to have a relationship. I don't think lives without a romantic relationship or lots of close friendships are inherently lesser, but I do want a partner and a community, and I would like to have children, which creates a time limit. I don't have a self-esteem or self-acceptance problem. I think I'm a fine person with many good qualities, but I do clearly have a behavior problem because my behavior patterns so far have reliably failed to produce results. I understand his life is not a penny slots and I can't just pull the right lever and have a girlfriend or a best friend pop out, but it sucks to be my age and not have ever gotten past a first date. And yes, I am sometimes sad about this, but my problem is I want to change these circumstances rather than processing the sadness. When I tried re-explaining this, these therapists both reacted like I was just being resistant to some level of self-reflection and emotional processing, which... I truly do not think is the case. I'm considering therapy again from a better mental place this time. I want to understand what kind of life I want and how to take steps towards it. But the idea of going through this dynamic where we argue about how I feel feelings again exhausts me. Therapists who say they're familiar with autism usually mean I work with toddlers on eye contact and queer-friendly therapists usually don't understand neurodivergence. What questions do I ask to screen for a therapist who understands the more pragmatic or distanced way that autistic people experience feelings before I invest a ton of time in them? Is therapy even the right avenue? Oof, I am having feelings about this one. Yeah, this is, you know, wide ranging, certainly. Um, You want to start maybe just by listing some feelings or... Yes. Um, I can start with my rage feelings about the ableist therapists. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I can start there. I really, really feel for our literator, and um, I'm so frustrated that 
the world is still so ableist and that therapy training is still so ableist that this is deeply unsurprising to me that this is the kind of thing she's coming up against. And I would definitely caution her against trying therapy again because most therapists are trained in feelings and self-reflection. Um, I would say if anything, my first instinct would be to be curious about coaching as a more proactive behavior focused um, modality. But um, my concern even there, I mean, coaching is very based on, you know, what do you want to do? What would you do differently? Actions, what happened? Choices, right? Um, And I do not want our letter writer to be coached to act neurotypical, right? I want our letter writer to be celebrated in her queerness and her autisticness and to find a partner who thinks she's amazing exactly as she is. And I, you know, it may be, this may be a conversation about how to meet the right people and and what that looks like. But um, I really, you know, I, I'm just so worried about the the behavior coaching can so easily turn into, you know, the sort of ABA type um, behavior therapy, how to act more neurotypical. And I really, really don't want that for her. Right. I, I, I really shared that sense. My only thought with something like coaching is that because it is itself like an unregulated uh, and uncertified industry, I, I you know, I I couldn't make any specific recommendations. I'm not necessarily against the idea entirely, but I don't really know how you would screen for efficacy or um, like how you measure outcomes. Like I just, yeah. it, that's really not, it, like my sort of it's gut dangerous. thought is like, it seems to me like a field where a lot of people with maybe like great intentions and some free time are like, I'm going to be a life coach now. Um, and there's nothing really stopping them from doing that. That doesn't mean that there can't be value or use to it. I just, I could not personally speak to what to look for or what to avoid so much as just for all that there's like, as you say, a pretty like ugly and quite recent, like ongoing history of like the psychiatric and psychological and medical communities, um, you know, harming and abusing and coercing autistic people. Um, Yeah, I, I share your sense of like, in, you know, encouraging this letter writer to continue to cultivate a healthy skepticism of uh, the therapist experiences that they've had so far. But um, I wouldn't, I, you know, yeah. I, I no, wouldn't, I wouldn't fair. go any further take than like, if, no coaching. No, 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 not even like take it back. Just like for my part, I would say no more than if the idea of coaching interests you and you find someone whose work strikes you as appealing and you've got the money go for it. Just figure out for yourself in advance, how will you evaluate either like what would success look like? How long do I want to do this for? What do I want to get out of this relationship? That That's just, that's what I would say on that front. I wonder if, um, you know, someplace like ASAN, Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, or someplace like that might have resources of, of folks uh, who would be 
kosher. I don't know. Yeah, I was also thinking um, I've had the hosts of the show Stim for Stim uh, guest on this show before. And so I would mention Stim for Stim. That's just um, Stim, S-T-I-M, and then the digit four and then Stim again. Um, it's a relationship podcast um, by and for people on the autism spectrum. I don't say that as like, I've listened to every single episode and I want to make a blanket recommendation, but you might find potential topics um, or other guests there um, who have useful insights for you. Um, the other thing that I was thinking, again, I don't want to go too far down the route of just like, I looked up a list of like self-identified autistic therapists and you should call them. Um, I will just say that I did also have to weed through the beginning of like trying to search for therapists who are also autistic. And I got a lot of uh, ABA recommendations and a lot of things about like therapists who work with autistic populations. And so I had to do some weeding out. I don't want to like name the names that I found just because I haven't read all of their work. And so I would hate to recommend somebody and then later find out that like they either like support a, a, program that I think is really dangerous or just like they seem they seem great having like skimmed their sites. I will just say there are a handful of um, psychiatrists and therapists who do have like self-identified autistic therapist in their site terminology and that you should be able to find them with a little bit of research. It, it didn't take me more than like 10 minutes to, to screen out the other stuff. So they do exist out there. I'm, you know, sorry, again, like, I feel like I'm being very hedgy on this one because I just like, I'm like, if I can't full-heartedly recommend something, I'll just mention it as a possibility. But yeah, you know, the question is like, should I look for a therapist who is themselves autistic? That's one possible avenue. Should I consider traditional talk therapy as like a good enough option when I've been in crisis, but not really working for me when I'm like thinking about my long-term goals, that would seem totally fine to me. Um, and if you'd rather just journal or talk about it with your friends or look for, I don't know, singles organizations or support groups, all of those would make a lot of sense to me. I think you have a lot of options. I don't feel a particular investment in like, no, keep trying. You should really try to make this work with your therapist. I don't know that a therapist would necessarily help you to achieve your goal, which is like go on more second dates um, so much as you know, maybe think about what have been some of the better first dates that I've been on? What might any of them have had in common? Were there any particular types of people that I have felt the most connection with that might be the best sort of uh, like avenue for for my future dates? Um, do I want to ask people out more than I have in the past? Um, do I want to talk a little bit more explicitly about autism in the beginning so that I'm feeling known and understood and less like I'm trying to mask or like present myself in a particular mm -hmm. way for, I don't, again, I, that is speculating about the kinds of dates that you have had letter writers. So that might not apply to you, but that might be useful work that you can do on your own and you certainly don't need a therapist to help you do it. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, I wonder where she's meeting people if it's online, um, in a dating profile, you know, does she name that she's autistic in the profile? Would that be something that she would be comfortable doing um, so that it feels like it's just there and it's out there and doesn't have to be like a thing and, um, you know, can find people who are are embracing of of her neurodivergence from the start and just weed out people who aren't going to be able to 
be down with all of who she is, like straight up, right? Mm -hmm. And then again, you know, having to, getting to avoid feeling an obligation to mask and all, all of that, right? Um, are there other ways to be meeting people than the ways that she is? And whether that's the online or... I don't even know, again, the in-person and the COVID and who knows, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, beyond that, my last thoughts are, letter writer, I sometimes hear from people who, if their therapist says something that, like, upsets or distresses them, they don't push back at all. And I usually advise those people to, you know, cultivate a little bit more appropriate conflict or disagreement with a therapist. It doesn't sound like that's the case here. It sounds like on both occasions when your therapist um, was sort of missing the point that you were trying to make or, or trying to redirect you back to the question of self-esteem, you were quite clear and quite explicit. I don't believe that that is my problem. This is what I understand to be my problem. Um, I don't have like a Pollyanna-ish or casino-like view of dating. I'm aware that I cannot perfectly guarantee that I will have a partner, but I, I, that is my stated goal. And I would like to, you know, change more things to achieve it. So on that front, I think it, it doesn't sound like there's anything that I would have advised you to do differently. So if you do decide that you want to try another therapist, uh, which I think would be fine. It'd be great if you could find one who is also on the spectrum, but I imagine that there's not like so many of them that you'll be able to like automatically get an appointment, um, especially depending on where you live. So in that case, the only other thought I would have is to maybe specifically look for therapists who are working with people, not necessarily on like a DBT perspective, but like who have short or medium term goals that they would like to achieve rather than just this is a sort of open-ended process. And, you know, front load it with some version of this letter, which is just like, I'd like to go to therapy because I want to talk about changing behaviors so that I can, you know, better achieve this goal. Um, in the past, some of my therapists have really wanted to redirect this to questions of self-esteem. And while I'm not, you know, closed off to, you know, dialogue on both sides, like I want to make it really clear. Uh, I'm, I think I have a pretty healthy self-esteem. Um, I know what my goal is. I would like you know, advice on how to achieve it. I would like to have conversations about how to better achieve it. I don't want to get stuck in conversations about whether or not I can guarantee it. I know I can't guarantee it. I'm aware. Um, and that will potentially weed people out. Um, but again, you you don't need a therapist, I think, to to try to figure that out. And I I also, letter writer, for whatever it's worth, reading your letter, I, I shared your sense of like, this letter writer gets that you cannot guarantee anything. This letter writer does not have like, um, like mistaken views of the world or like, I need to gently disabuse. Like, yeah, exactly. Unrealistic. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is that I, I, I want to encourage a letter writer to, to do is to maybe spend more time just hanging out in online spaces. Um, you know, there's a lot of... A lot of action happening, like on Twitter, at the actually autistic hashtag perpetually, mm -hmm. and a lot of queer folks mm -hmm. over there. And if connecting with people, if getting to know people, if deepening intimacy is a goal, uh, you know, a getting to know people online is great because there are great people online, and that could en enrich your life anyway. Right. My life is an enriched by some of the amazing people that live in my computer. Like, yay, enriching your one's life. And some of those friendships and connections may translate into other kinds of connections, whether 
friendships or more. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, which is not to say that autistic and neurotypical romance and friendships can't happen because they can and do and all the time. And and why not be in a space where, where there are people who share one or more of uh, the things that are key in your life? Like that's not, you know, why not be in a space where people share one or more of your identities? Like that's a good and lovely thing and uh, a nice way to feel seen sometimes. Yeah, I think that's really useful. I think any opportunities that you have to put yourself around people where you don't have to do a lot of preemptive explanation either of queerness or particularly your autism, I think that's going to be really useful to you. And so whatever that might look like in terms of where you want to turn your attention next, whether it's like explicitly like support therapeutic groups for people in similar situations or whether it's simply like a group of mostly autistic people has enjoyed this activity and they kind of all hang out together and I want to try to join. I I think that's going to be useful to you. Um, And then, you know, again, like you say, I'd like to have a partner. I'd like to have a child. I'd like to cultivate friendships. Like all of these things are of interest to me and they're all on the table. I think that's also helpful because there are like small measurable ways that you can try to move towards that goal. Like again, you don't have to take any of these, but if you're just like, I would like to, you know, sometime in the next month, invite out to coffee, somebody I only know a little bit, but would like to potentially be friends with. And that's again, something you can write about, like, who might I consider? How might I go about doing it? Um, Who would I move on to if that didn't pan out? Uh, And then you could like keep track of that. And I don't mean to say like, you need to keep a notebook of all your potential overtures at friendship. I just mean like, there are actual ways that you can say like, in the next two weeks or the next month or, or whatever date feels appropriate, um, I'm going to try to get to know somebody that I like better, or I'm going to try to have a conversation with somebody new, um, or I'm going to, uh, you know, consider, you know, uh, like a dating app or asking somebody out or cruising and seeing if I can get to know somebody after the fact, like any of those options might be available to you. Um, and you can, you know, kind of keep track of like, how is that going? How do I feel when I do it? Does it feel awful? Does it feel okay? Do people seem receptive? Do people seem put off? Um, and try to figure out, you know, through trial and error um, with, within like safe parameters, um, comfortable parameters, um, what works and, and, and what doesn't. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of yeah. think that's my last thought there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wish you success and, and connection and friendship and love. Me too. Letter writer. I, frankly, I kind of wish I could put you in touch with that letter writer who had left a cult. Uh, not because I think you'll necessarily like automatically become best friends, but just because you're both trying to figure out like, how do I establish, you know, a lot of social ties in like a relatively short amount of time? And that's a difficult thing to do. And I feel like you might at least feel um, slightly buoyed by the fact that you're not alone in that position. But uh, unfortunately, I, I, I can't do that. So. I'll just say, I hope you two run into each other at a coffee shop in the near future. There are a lot of people who are trying to find their people. Yeah. And, you know, and that also means that there are a lot of people who are going to be really receptive to overtures of friendship or more. And it's just about finding the the right connections. Yeah. And, you know, not everybody likes this, but I think maybe more people than you might think uh, sometimes appreciate hey, do you want to be friends? You seem cool. Like, you know, not to just say that across the board, but like people sometimes find that charming. Um, And so, you know, don't necessarily be afraid of the direct approach. If you are talking to someone and they seem cool and you're just like, 
Are you looking for a new friend? Would you ever like to see a movie together? Um, sometimes they like that. I, I, I did that on Monday. I was like, you're awesome. We should be friends. Like, yeah. I was at a work thing. And, you know, obviously like it carries risks. <laughs> Every know. once in a while, somebody then responds like, oh, no, thank you. Uh, right. Which uh, is okay. But again, like, like if, you, if you're like, oh, yeah. I couldn't handle hearing that. Don't say that. Like ignore that piece of advice. Right. Like it is not, it is definitely not for everybody, but um, people like to be thought of. And people you know, like to be told they're awesome. I, I often <laughs> feel like if you have like a pretty robust social goal, figuring out how can I like titrate uh, rejection just enough so that I can get over like maybe my initial fear of like that would be the worst thing that could happen to me. And I don't mean to say like you should go try to get rejected a lot because that's painful, but it can sometimes really hold you back from reasonable ventures if you're just like the worst thing that could happen would be that somebody would say no to me. And so sometimes it can help to just sort of like automate it a little bit. So you're just like, all right, if somebody says no to this direct question, I've just saved us some time and I will feel sad for, you know, five minutes, an hour, whatever. And then I will move on so that I eventually see like, oh, it's not always personal. Sometimes people just have other things going on in their lives or, you know, you can't force a connection on both ends. And I'm just going to keep going and realize like, it doesn't mean that I'm not great. It just means like that one didn't pan out. Let's try the next one. Anyways, uh, yeah, I just really, really mostly letter writer want to echo. It can be really frustrating when you try to share like a specific goal, especially in a therapeutic context, and you just get redirected into you should feel differently about yourself because it's so maddening to try to explain like, I'm actually not running myself down. I'm trying to explain like a tangible goal that I would like to achieve. Uh, And I know you can't give me like a magic tip for it, but you know, I also think that it's possible to learn a technique here. And if you listen, if your therapist is not hearing that redirection, um, uh, let's say second redirection, I will remind you that you pay the therapist. And that is probably your cue to get up and say, thank you. It has been real. Um, Thank you. It's been real. We'll be in touch. Right. I'm sorry. I am... I do not have have enough time in my one wild and precious life to have to explain to someone again and again and again that actually their agenda for the thing I'm paying them to do in in their their helping profession, you know, like if they're sometimes it's a miscommunication, right? And sometimes it's a whatever. And sometimes therapists are right and I'm being resistant, right? And I don't want to hear it and right? But if you're coming in clear and they're refusing to hear you, it's not your therapist. Okay. Thank you next. Thank you for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations with a guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, 
maybe you need a little advice, maybe some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our big mood, little mood listener question form or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening.